Is everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. You know what? I finally discovered what it's like to dislike all your coworkers, Every single one. You know, Gordon, you ever been there? Nope, but never have. Oh, well, I'm here now. Who is it that uh, is particularly bothering you at present? Oh, well, Lloyd in Austin. Lloyd came in to make fun of you? Yeah, he did. Yeah, Lloyd. Lloyd ran all the way in just to laugh at me. So it just <laughs> it makes you feel good, you know? Makes you feel good about being you. Make a simple mistake. Austin tells me in my ear, Tracy's ready, you know, and I. You don't really sound like a Debbie. Okay, well, don't compare it to time. that. Come on. Come on. That's not funny. That's not funny or fair. All right, let's talk some uh, NFL football, shall we? Let's get out to yeah, the T-Mobile let's... special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Uh, he's co-host of the Peacock and Williamson NFL show, part of Locked On NFL. He's our friend Matt Williamson with us here on The Big Show. Hi, Matt. How are you? I am fantastic. How are you? Oh, uh, I'm a little embarrassed by a radio flub in the last segment, but I'm trying to pull it together. Okay. <laughs> he should be used to it by now, Matt. I do it a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really should be. Uh, I really should be used to it. Uh, Matt, let's uh, let's start with uh, kind of the big news today. The Tennessee Titans have their second consecutive day with no positive COVID-19 tests. Are they looking like uh, they'll get their facility open and be back on track for this week? Yeah, it does sound that way, and I'm really curious, and I, I read a little blurb just a couple of minutes ago that they think that they're going to be without about eight players because of the COVID situation, and I'm sure there's other guys that are injured, A.J. Brown, you know, normal injuries as well. What kind of squad are they going to throw out there, and how much practice time are they actually going to get when it's all said and done? How's it going to affect the team on the field? I mean, I, I can't really – speak to the other things. I mean, I watch the tape, I watch the games, but this is a huge game for them this week. I mean, they're playing the Bills with what looks like potentially two AFC playoff teams. So, Matt, I, I want to ask you about scoring in the NFL, and this is a topic Jake and I are going to get to later in our show, but uh, the scoring is up. The averages are high. I think, uh, what was time. it, over 50, 51 or 52 points? Uh and uh, people are giving all kinds of reasons for that increased scoring. Do you have a, a detailed, thorough list for us right now? Without question. And it starts with offensive holding penalties are drastically down, drastically down. And we know those are drive killers. Defensive pass interference calls are up. We know those extend drives and result in big plays that don't always show up in the yardage areas. I think it's very obvious watching the NFL now for a month that being a road offense with no fans or limited fans is a much easier task than it was with a full house. And the crowds matter now more, you know, maybe more than I even thought in terms of you know, scoring and moving the football and getting first downs consistently and all those things. And I also think that 
the league has been trending this way a little bit for a while now in terms of there's just so many phenomenal offensive play callers out there. And a lot of these defenses are playing a little more vanilla coverages early in the year because they haven't had the preseason to, you know, to, to implement quite as deep of a defensive playbook. And if you give Sean Payton and, you know, other great type of play callers that have been around the block, Aaron Rodgers, predictable coverages, they're going to carve them up. And, you know, lastly, I think that the NFL, more so than I can remember, has has realized that young quarterbacks to install some more college philosophies for them to make their life easier. So some of these young quarterbacks aren't swimming as much as they used to be in previous years. So with that in mind, and you mentioned the the Bills earlier, Matt, Josh Allen is somebody, um, we're right here in the Mountain West Conference footprint. Obviously, we saw him play at uh, at Wyoming, you know, saw the potential there. And right now, this year, he's been amazing. He's over 1,300 yards already, has 12 touchdowns, one interception. Is this, is is what we're seeing from him real? I really lean that way. And I'll be honest, like when he came out of Wyoming, I was not high on him. I, I've been hard on him up until this year. Really for two reasons. I, I think his accuracy was really worrisome, and rarely do you see players at the NFL level, you know, really step up their accuracy. I mean, it, usually you are what you are in that in that regard. And he had a lot of up and downs, too. I mean, great plays, but erratic decisions. And, wow, I think he's the most improved player in the league. And I'm taking nothing away from him, but that system, they're a really smart team, and they – you know, design their offense extremely well, and adding Stephon Diggs has been gigantic. But he's making the throws, and he didn't make the throws before. His deep accuracy was really, really poor, and now it's gone from a weakness to a strength. His timing's much better. He looks way more comfortable. And as you mentioned to start the question, we know there's ability there, and there's tons of ability there. You know, I was watching that Bucks game uh, the other day, and I'll tell you, Tom Brady looked like Tom Brady again in that second half. I, I thought yeah. it was a stellar showing. What do you make of the potential for that team? Is this uh, all of us just making a big deal out of the guy because of his past, or do you think this team with him at the controls has potential to do something this season beyond just you know being kind of good? Yeah, first of all, I think it starts with the defense. And Todd Bowles, to me, is one of the best defensive coordinators in the league. He was actually our secondary coach when I was with the Browns. So I have a lot of respect for him and got to know him a little bit. But I think that's a top five type of defense. And because the defense has been so good, I think they've been able to iron out some kinks, work through the first month of the season with a lot of new pieces on offense. And you're right, in the second half of that game, Brady looked very, very comfortable and, you know, was throwing things on time, controlling the offense. And if and when they can get Godwin and Evans on the field together, I think they're a contender. I absolutely do. What happens first, the COVID-19 pandemic ends or a NFL team from New York City wins? Wow. You're right. I mean, I just put a a power ranking out yesterday. The Jets were a distant 32nd. I got some heat for not putting the Giants 31st. I think I ended them up at 30, but it is rough there right now. 
Matt, I want to get back to something you said earlier. You talked about the uh, higher scoring uh, being uh, attributed in part to the penalties being lessened. Do you like this? Is this is this a good move? It, it kind of reminds me in the NBA when referees would say they're going to make calls that actually affect what's going on. Do you think there were too many holding calls previously, or is this going to frustrate defensive linemen, or what do you make of it? I make a lot of it, to be honest with you. I mean, I really think the discrepancy between the defensive linemen over the offensive linemen in the league is bigger than I've ever seen it. I mean, the guys coming into the league are so big and fast and athletic on the defensive front now, and offensive linemen are not coming to the league you know, NFL ready. So I don't like it personally, but I think the league likes it and the average fan likes it because betting overs is fun. A lot of fantasy points is fun. A lot of yellow flags on the field is not fun. And so I think it's good for the whole big picture of the game, but the purists like me want to see Miles Garrett and TJ Watt and Joey Bosa beat up on a lesser guy in front of them and not get dragged down by the net. You mentioned the the offensive lineman uh, there, Matt. Uh, Lincoln Kennedy comes on um, uh, another program here on this radio station, DJ and PK in the morning, and he throws out the theory that, uh, in fact, O-linemen are so unprepared coming into the NFL that almost makes it a requirement to have a more mobile quarterback because they're running for their life a lot more. I think think that's absolutely true, that there's always a place for pocket passing. I mean – Inevitably in the game, it's going to be third and eight a handful of times, and you're going to have to drop back and make a throw. But, boy, I am very prejudiced against non-mobile quarterbacks coming into the league to at least have that calling card to create, to get out of the way of these phenomenal athletes that are not only coming off the edge, but up the middle. I mean, Chris Jones chasing you. Like, I was watching Matt Ryan last night, and guys like him and Rivers, even in their best day, they can't get out of the way. They can't protect themselves. They can't buy that extra second, and it's worse now than ever because the guy's chasing Everyone can run on defense, and everyone's an athlete, and they're nasty. I I think athleticism at the quarterback position is way more important now than ever. Matt, other than Patrick Mahomes, and maybe uh, let's uh, let's eliminate uh, Lamar Jackson from this discussion. Who are the other young quarterbacks that you mentioned a couple, but uh, is there anybody that's really standing out as – having a really bright future. It's, I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but the two rookies that are playing right now are very, very impressive, Burrow and Herbert. And I'll be honest, I adored Herbert coming out, or I adored Burrow coming out of the school. I had a lot of questions about Herbert, similar to how, what I said about Josh Allen earlier. But, boy, they both look like they belong They've both been extremely good. Uh, I think that they, the Bengals and Chargers have found long-term stars at the position. And, again, it's only four games. I don't want to get too crazy, but I am super impressed with both those guys. Haven't, haven't they had over 300 yards passing in every game or something along those lines? Yeah. I mean, the production's there. The wild throws are there. He's certainly a good athlete as well. Uh, there's a lot to like. What did it take the, why did it take the Texans so long to move on from Bill O'Brien, do you think? 
I know he's unlikable, and the GM, Bill O'Brien, is not a good GM, and boy, I think that's become apparent. But that guy won the AFC South for the last five years and somehow always finds a way to get the Texans in the postseason where they usually lose the first round. But that was even before Deshaun Watson. I mean, that was with Osweiler and Fitzpatrick and Schaub and guys like that. So there aren't a lot of human beings on the planet that know how to win in the NFL and can do it with some consistency. He was one of them. Matt, I want to ask you about the Raiders. People around here are trying to sort of get used to this uh, the geographically closest team to uh, our listenership here. Uh, if I were to ask you to give us a few basic uh, positives and negatives about that team, what's your evaluation there? I like the combination of Gruden and Mayock and think that will eventually pay off. And I think Gruden's above average coach and has proven that over and over. I think Eric Carr is good enough to get you beat. You know, he's a good player. He's not a special player. When things break down, it doesn't. He's a paint by numbers quarterback, and he doesn't bring enough big play flair or extra things to the table. And they know that, so they've put a really good line around them and keep drafting high quality skill guys. And that's intriguing. You know, I think that group of Waller and Jacobs and the young receivers could really develop into something. But I think the defense is very lacking. You know, that there's. The, the pass rush is very poor. There's not many playmakers on at any position. The, thing, the defense needs a lot of work. Matt, what's going on with the defense in Dallas? Even Troy Aikman said wow. he was embarrassed yeah. by the defense in Dallas. <laughs> yeah, it, it's miserable. I mean, their tackling is very poor. Frankly, their effort hasn't been great. There's been a lot of communication errors. And from what I understand, Mike Nolan, the new defensive coordinator, it installs somewhat of a complex scheme, which is certainly the wrong year to do that without any practice time and whatnot. Um, and frankly, the talent on the back, you know, in the secondary just isn't there. Matt, which of the divisions do you think is the best in all the NFL right now? The NFC East, uh, not the East. I'm sorry, no, the West, not, the the AF, <laughs> not the sorry, not the East, uh, or the AFC North, or or how, how do you uh, how do you rank them? It's a good question. I haven't been asked that in a while. I'm a little down on Arizona, or I easily would have said the NFC West a couple weeks ago. Um, I hadn't given the AFC North a lot of credit or a lot of thoughts, but I think the Steelers and Ravens are both top-tier type of teams. The Bengals have improved. I mentioned Burrow. Browns are pretty darn good. I mean, I think they're at least an average team, if not better. Maybe they're a playoff wild-card type of team. I'm kind of leaning towards the AFC North. I don't think the NFC South is bad, but Atlanta's a disaster, so they can't be in that conversation. It's going to be between the NFC West and the AFC North, and I think I'm leaning towards the AFC North. You know, Matt, it, it is remarkable now that you mention it. As I look at that NFC East, there are a total of three victories in that entire division so far. Yeah, and Washington got one of them. They beat Philadelphia, you know, so it's against each other. Hmm. Well, Matt, we uh, always look forward to our conversations. Thank you very much for jumping on with us. Absolutely. Let's do it next week. Absolutely.
There you go. That's our friend Matt Williamson. Uh, make sure and check out the uh, <clears throat> Peacock and Williamson NFL show, part of the Locked On NFL Network. And Gordon, you know, this—oh, sorry, go ahead. It, it, Jake, it's interesting to hear somebody who's actually been in the uh, in the war room, as it were, somebody who is actually, you know, uh, taking care of business with an NFL team. To hear him break this stuff down is pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, you, uh, this has kind of caught your eye, the offensive production in the, uh, in the NFL, Gordon, answer your own question. You gave Matt there. What do you think about it? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what the real answer is. I, I think the fact that I think it is clearing it up for teams to run their offenses in stadiums with no fans. It does not seem like that would make sense. Because when you're in some place where you got people hanging all over, you got 65, 70,000 fans hanging all over the place, making all kinds of noise, making it more difficult, I think, to get that done. I think that's part of it. Like like Matt said, I also agree that that penalty thing is interesting, Jake. And I think you and I need to dig into that a little bit because I, I'm i not quite sure how I feel about it. On the one hand, it, for those of you who didn't hear that, uh, they are throwing fewer flags this year, and especially on the offensive lines. And that is enabling these offenses to sustain drives, to get down the field, and to score. Now, if there's a defensive, uh, if there's an edge rusher who's being pulled down to the ground, I, I don't like that. I don't like it at all. Uh, on the other hand, if it's some nitpicking little thing where someone's hand is in the wrong place or something crazy like that, and you see a touchdown called back because of that play that had nothing to do with what was actually happening on the field, I, I don't mind seeing that flag stay right tucked in uh, where it should not be thrown. I, what do you think? Um, so, I, you know, I uh, that's annoying. I got it. But I, I wish they'd just call, uh, you know, uh, letter of the law, that type of thing. I, I wish, you know, if there's holding, call the holding. I I do not like, uh, you know, what's an example from this past week? Where was, a, where was the Cowboys score? Uh, 49 to 38, the Browns beat the Cowboys. You know, I don't like the I, – I'm one of the few people I did not care for the Arena League, Gordon, because there mm-hmm. wasn't any defense. I, I didn't like that. I, I think defense – makes games more interesting and not that I'm advocating that I really enjoy sitting through a, you know, nine to six scorcher, but, um, I, I think I don't like it. I guess if I'm going to, if it's, it's going to be an either or kind of thing, I, I don't like it. Jake, it's not like the arena league though. I mean, the game that you pointed out was a little exaggerated, but, uh, if you're averaging 52 points a game, uh, you know, that's, that's acceptable, isn't it? If oh, I don't know score, what's acceptable and what's is, not. But if the score is twenty-seven to twenty-four, that does that mean that things are out of hand? I'm not sure that it does. I don't know, but I I think defense is becoming less of a factor in the NFL. I guess is my point, and I don't necessarily like that. Well, you know the you, video def- game like numbers and have, stuff. I, yeah, yeah, defensive backs have been complaining about that for a long time. All the advantages in the passing game now that you used to be able to knock a receiver's teeth in practically before they even got into their route. And uh, the NFL wants to see more points on the board. There's no doubt that the league likes to see scoring. Uh, but I'm, I'm with you. I don't like I don't like these exaggerated scores. But uh, 
if this if it's thirty to twenty seven, uh, that's not going to bug me that much. I mean, I'm not Dick, Dick Butkus over here, chomping at the bit, getting angry because uh, the score is not like you said, six to three. And we're we're kind of seeing the disappearance of the star running back too. And I don't know how exactly I feel about that either. Because now it seems like franchises are just getting a couple of running backs, chewing them up before their second contract, and then spitting them out. And that's kind of been a recipe for success. We don't see the the workhorse, you know, twenty to thirty carry every game superstar running back anymore. And I liked that part. You know, I liked the the, the Barry Sanders, Emmett Smith. You know, that era where we had these just incredible running backs. I mean, now it's so much more of a spread it out and throw it around the field type of game. And I I think I'm in the minority on that one, on wanting to see that. And I think that's why they've uh, changed the way they've enforced the rules. But think about that. We we just don't have the workhorse, long-term superstar running backs really anymore. Well, as a... uh... As a student of the game who grew up studying Tubby Raymond's uh, Delaware Fighting Blue Hens, I, I got to tell you that watching in my formative years, 1927, watching uh, watching the Blue Hens run that wing T offense, it was fun. I liked the run game, man. I love to see running backs get that yardage because to me it's more, it's not more complicated, but it seems like it's more unusual. To see a, a drive where you see uh, six or seven runs in the drive, guys picking up seven, eight yards per carry. I, I think that's really fun to watch. I agree with you. So, and we're we're seeing the game change, you know. And in uh, you know we're a basketball market. We've seen the NBA change quite a bit over the the same period of time. It's it's not uh, refereed even close to how it used to be. And unless I missed some. You know, big time rule changes over the years. That didn't really happen. It's just the way that they they choose to call it. And I don't think I, you know, I, you know, you can call it uh, evolving or progress or whatever. But uh, my guess is we're not going to get '90s basketball back ever. And you can probably say the same thing about football. I'm not sure that anybody misses those old uh, matchups between the Heat and the Knicks when the score was like 85 to 77. But it does, it comes back to something we were talking about earlier, uh, you know, the Miami playing against the Lakers, you know, it, it changes the way you have to play a team like that because you can no longer, you know, we kind of made a joke about it, but the best way, you know, to defend the rim when people were getting to the rim at will was hard fouls, and you just, that's just not how the game's played anymore. Well, yeah, I mean, you got all that three-point shooting going on, but... I don't want to see – I certainly don't want to see defenders allowed to come up under a shooter so that they land on his feet. I mean uh, – Well, that uh, that was never acceptable. Yeah. I don't think yeah. – that that was never rough play. I mean, that's like the dirtiest thing you can do in basketball. You know, Zaza Pachulia, what he did to Kawhi Leonard. I mean – Yeah, that's – I, that's I don't know if there was good. ever an I'd era probably of – under, undercutting a, a rebounder. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's ever been an era of basketball where those things were acceptable. Yeah, but you know, well, the the Jordan documentary. I mean, how did the Pistons beat the Bulls those years? They just beat the crap out of them. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, that I was don't know. I think there's probably a happy median somewhere there where you can you can probably satisfy both ends of it without leaning too far one way or the other. But nobody wants to see a fourteen to seven game, do they? People talk. People complain sometimes about soccer. If a score is two to one, well, that's fourteen to seven in football. Yeah, you know, 
I mean, that's not exactly anybody's idea of a of a stroll in the park or a picnic at the at the stadium. I I'd rather see a little more action than that. All right, we're hanging out today with our friends from TryDayTrading.com. And joining the show now is Tracy. And Tracy, let's talk about getting started with TryDayTrading.com. I'm sure a lot of listeners uh, are driving around saying, like, oh, I have no experience with that. That wouldn't be a good fit. That's not necessarily the case, right? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Um, This is designed for people that have little or no experience. I mean, you don't have to be a pro trader. Um, All you have to be able to do is put in a little bit of time. Um, be teachable, open-minded, and you know we'll walk you through the process, and we can figure out if it's a good fit for you or not. And you get your own coach, right? So if you have any questions or, or having trouble with something, there's somebody right there to help. That's right. You'll be working one-on-one in the beginnings with one of our coaching directors, and they'll be walking you through a few trades and making sure that you understand how the system works and so you get a good feel for it, and we all can make a good decision and hopefully get you a funded account. How crazy is Alema Harrington driving his coach? <laughs> well, I better not comment on that, but I think you already know, Jake. I, I think I do, Tracy. All right, trydaytrading.com. Get started. Go there first, right? And you can get hooked up with a webinar? Yep, trydaytrading.com. You can go sign up for a free webinar, see how everything works, and uh, hopefully it could be a great match for you and help you freedom. Thanks, Tracy. Have a great day. Thanks. All right, that's uh, our friend Tracy from trydaytrading.com trydaytrading.com. All right, we'll have more Big Show coming up straight ahead. Don't forget, Bowler is going to join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour right here on the Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I'm here to introduce the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about from the guys you know and trust. Go town! Turn it up. You're listening to The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Presented by Mountain America Credit Union. Guiding members forward for over 80 years. Yeah, yeah. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This one goes out to Aaron on a total request Tuesday. We're doing Van Halen songs. Tweet at Austin Horton. Uh, Gordon, I just barely noticed. Forgive me for being late to the game here, but uh, you've got a column out. And did I inspire this column? Kind of did a little bit, but just, uh, you know, not. It was just something I was planning on doing. Uh, because the headline, can unbeaten BYU and its players, coaches, and fans handle the truth? Yeah, but. That was my whole thing yesterday. Well, the yeah, but part. But uh, I had already written some of that column before uh, before the show. So that's what I was planning on doing. But uh, you gave me the yeah, but uh, idea. Yeah, co-worker. <laughs> so I, I said I don't want to you know, get caught up in the yeah, buts. And you wrote a column about yeah, but? Yeah, but the whole yeah, like I said, I'd written probably half of that column before the show, and uh, it, it's the discussion about what happens when a really good team uh, doesn't have enough competition to uh, to prove that it's it's worthy uh, of of greatness, and that's sort of what BYU is finding itself in this year. It's not really BYU's fault. I mean, I'm not blaming BYU, but I go back through the history a little bit and talk about some of the great teams or some of the really good teams BYU's had in the past 
that couldn't prove themselves as being great. You know, and one thing that really dawned on me is after all these years, kind of I'm starting to think Barry Switzer was right. You know, uh, his his reasoning behind it was kind of twisted because he was just trying to self-promote. But uh, when he said that Washington should have been the national champs over BYU in 1984, uh, and and he said that uh, that 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 Washington was the better team, he was probably right. You know, I, I if I had to bet on those two teams playing one another, I, I would bet on Washington winning that. Now, I don't like the way the college game was set up against BYU. I mean. It wasn't their fault that they were that they couldn't get a better opponent in the bowl game. That they were sort of trapped into that circumstance. But um, and all those teams that complained about not being national champs could have gone, maybe could have gone and, and played BYU in the in the Holiday Bowl and, and not got so much money from their bowl game appearance. But uh, uh, if you're going to really look at how the quality of teams. It's very difficult to really say a team is worthy of it when they're when they're going up against a substandard uh, schedule, and that's what the Cougars are up against this year. Now, I think the Cougars are really good. It's just that we can't really we can't really see if they're great because we can't. Yeah, I, I know we can't, and I I agree with that. My my whole point yesterday was just that. I, I'm not making an argument for BYU to get into the college football playoff this year. I'm not making an argument they're going to get into a New Year's Six bowl game. I, I'm, I really wasn't talking about deserve or anything like that. I'm just trying to appreciate a good football team in a bizarre era with a, a lot of adversity from an administration standpoint that we can appreciate a good football team and not be frustrated that they're not being tested more. But I, I, I just, I don't know how you can, how you can do that. I don't there's know. It's easy. No, way, no, there's no way to avoid it. You're going to ask that question after every game this year. Uh, okay. I, I, I'm not disagreeing with that, Gordon. I'm saying there are other things that you can talk about that we don't have to necessarily include the yeah, but I'm not saying that it doesn't exist. But you do have to include it. That, right. That's because. Yeah, because it's uh, it's just right in front of you week after week. Okay, but I I mean I used the the O four Utes as an, as an example yesterday. That was a theme of that season, but by no means was it the dominant. Um, by no means was it the dominant storyline. Uh, uh, I think that was pretty. Well, yeah, but that schedule was better than what BYU is facing this year. But even then, I'm I'm, I'm kind of questioning what you're saying because of the schedule that the Utes played. I think it's true of the, the, the really good BYU teams through the years. I think it's true of both those undefeated teams that the Utes had. But uh, I'll use myself as an example. I think the – and I'm not – by the way, uh, some people misunderstood me on this yesterday. I'm not saying that this BYU team and the 4 Utah team – are, I'm not comparing them from a how good standpoint, but uh-huh. my opinion is that that 04 Ute team was the best Ute team that I've ever seen. Yeah, I but agree other with that. Ute teams played against better competition, 
and quote unquote proved themselves out to be, you know, or, or whatever the case. We don't we don't look back on that 04 team and say, yeah, they were really great, but I think that I, they're the I, best. I do. Are you kidding me? But it's not the dominant thing you think. You just agreed with me that that was the best uh, Ute team that uh, that we've seen. That's but right. how do you actually but, know? But that? how great? How great? How really? How, how do you compare it to uh, to Auburn of that year and some of the other teams? You, you can't because they didn't face the same kind of competition. But that's what I'm saying. I'm not comparing BYU to other teams. I'm not. I'm not advocating that they get into a New Year's Six game. I'm not advocating that they are worthy of a of a playoff. I'm just saying I'm enjoying watching them. play play well and we, here's something we agree we both think that BYU is really good I just don't want to focus on the schedule I'd rather focus on the the great football I'm acknowledging the yeah but I'm not disagreeing with the yeah but but I'm not going to make it the focus of my analysis of BYU football this year uh, I, I don't I don't know how you can separate the two because the better BYU plays the more you hunger for evidence about what this team is capable of. Because I have done it before. I did it before with the 04 Utes. Well, then you had a different experience than I did back in 04 because I think we were all asking that question back then. It existed, but I don't think it was the dominant topic. I don't think every time we talked about the Utes, we said, wow, this Alex Smith is just amazing, but he did it against UNLV. Well, yeah, but back then we were under this sort of delusion that uh, the level of competition didn't matter as much. Who's At we? least I'll admit that I was, and I think a lot of other people were too. I, and I now was... that, that, that's the whole point is that one thing, the, the Utes transition into the Pac-12, which hasn't been a great league, since since the Utes moved into it, but the adjustment they had to make, that program had to make in order to to, to improve, is strong evidence that, uh, for instance, BYU. Okay, let's say Boise State is really good, and BYU beats them. Well, okay, then that's one little nice little notch there, but it's not like playing really good competition week after week after week. And again, I don't blame BYU for this. We can enjoy the fact that they're playing football at all because it looked like their season was in great peril. But I I keep flipping back to the schedule they initially had and what a shame it is that this team can't be playing that because that would have shown us evidence that we need to know that if this team is great. And I, I guess where you guys are differing is you both agree that BYU's schedule should have an asterisk. Or, or BYU's praise should have an asterisk. Jake, you're saying it doesn't need to be addressed all the time, and Gordon's saying he can't praise BYU without mentioning. But I, the, the I, yeah, yeah, but, I, yeah, I think that's yeah, so. It's, it's a question of, of a how yeah, often, whatever. Yeah, um, well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you have to ask it after every victory. Okay, but I, I think we can talk about how how good the team is. I, I do. I. But, they're but just we don't creaming know. these teams. That's the point. And they're we playing how, really well. We don't, we don't know how good the team is because what does beating UTSA really prove? But but see, the, going back to the to the, the old Mountain West days, I never advocated that Utah, that 0-4 team, should be uh, uh, included in the national championship discussion. I never did because of the reasons that you're talking about. The path that they got there was not the same as Auburn's or USC's. 
It was, well, you're, and you're, it wasn't as easy. And I, I talked about that. But with this BYU team, we were able to at least acknowledge that that Utah team was really good. I'm saying with BYU, I don't think that I'm not advocating for them to be included in the New Year's Six because other teams are going to have more difficult paths to get there. I'm not advocating for them to be included in the college football playoff because other teams are going to have more difficult paths to get there. In fact, it's the reason why I don't think that a Pac-12 team should get in only playing seven games. Uh, but I think we can say this BYU team is is really good. But where I share your disappointment that we're not going to get to see them play against their original schedule, I'm not going to let it frustrate me. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to say yeah, but every time I talk about BYU. Well, I don't think it's going to frustrate. I'm not frustrated by it, but I. That was I, the word you, you used you, yesterday. That's why I used. Yeah, it, but I, 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 I don't yesterday. mean from an emotional standpoint. I'm just talking about looking for evidence of how good a team is. And the more you win against crappy teams, the more you crave that team to play really good teams so you can see what you're really looking at here. And we're not going to find that out this year with this team. Well, as uh, a boss of ours once said, it is what it is. <laughs> I wish they were. That. I, I, uh, we had the Texas San Antonio coach on today, and it was a, it was a good interview, and it was fun to have him on. Uh, would I rather see BYU play Mississippi State than than Texas San Antonio? Absolutely. But I can want in one hand and spit in the other, and I'll tell you what's going to fill up faster. Thanks, Dad. Uh, that may be the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You never heard that before. Actually, it's it's not spit. It's something else. But I can't I can't <laughs> say that on the on the radio. Thanks for sparing us that. Yeah. Have you never um, heard that saying before? I have no. Oh, okay. You say it all the time. I do Jay. say it all yeah. the time. But that's not the first time I've said that. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess I wasn't listening. <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, it's uh, if BYU weren't good this year, then it wouldn't matter. But since they are, you want to know how good. That's the whole point of sports, isn't it? Uh, at what level? Well, at, at any high level. Well, because junior jazz, it's really about part- uh, participation. Oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> Come on. I thought it was about competition. I thought it was about gambling. No, it's a, junior jazz at, at the high at the high level of sport. You want to know who's the best. You want to know how good a team is, and oh, that's and something we're we're not going to find out. All right, stay tuned. Uh, we will get to the not sports report coming up next. Want to remind you uh, about our friends at Action Plumbing, uh, Heating, and Electrical. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call today, 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333, Action Plumbing. Uh, not Sports Sports, straight ahead, Bowler at 5, 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Check this out. And now, your Not Sports Report on 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. It is never the guitar. One of my guitar teachers played one of my so-called pieces of crap guitar and made it sound like Eddie Van Halen. He also played a toy guitar and made it sound like Ozzy. (laughs) Never the guitar. Welcome on back. It's the big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 Zone. Time for the Not Sports Port, brought to you by the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles and inventory. Shop online, lhmusedcars.com. Gordon, where are we going today? 
We're going to Anaheim, but before we go there, a couple of questions for you. And these two things do have a little bit of a sports angle, but uh, I want to ask you about it. One is, did you see that video of John Daly hitting, getting a, a hole in one in, in barefoot? Yep, I did. Have you ever played golf in your bare feet? Yes, used to all the time. In fact, there were years where I played uh, in nothing but flip-flops or bare feet. And yet you uh, give Gordon Shine about the Oscar the Grouch t-shirt? <laughs> well, I wasn't playing at Willow Creek Country Club. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, playing nine at Nibley in bare feet, I've done that a few times. Can you play Can you play on a, on a classy uh, country club barefoot? No, I don't believe you can. Well, what, what are you doing that's wrong? What? It's uncouth. Yeah. No one needs to I see actually, your piggly wigglies. You're probably, time... It's probably more healthy on the grass uh, in your bare feet than it is with any kind of spikes. You know when I stopped playing in bare feet is uh, a buddy of mine. We were both playing in bare feet, and he stepped on a tee wrong, and the tee Ooh. actually went into his heel. Like Ow. I'm not kidding, oh, like three-quarters of an inch into his heel. Ow. He had to stop playing, and uh, I can't remember if we went to the doctor or not, but it I it was so. it was nasty. So after that, after I saw that, I I uh, at least wore flip flops. But now I I wear I have my golf shoes. I wear now. So oh, that's that's nice. Uh, okay, I just wondered because I've never played in my bare feet. That's and fine. It sounds it's a like slippery. it would feel good unless you step on your own tee. It, yeah, it's it's uh, you don't have the grip though. Your your feet slip out from under you a little bit. Yeah, I was gonna say it sounds like a good way to tear an ACL. <laughs> if the grass yeah, is might, wet, it it's might, rough. It, it might relax you a little bit, you know. It's, it's playing golf. Honestly, the be... reason I used to play in flip flops and uh, and bare feet is because when I was uh, a, a teenager into my early twenties, I used to get really mad playing golf. And then one day I realized, like, I'm not even good. Why am I mad? Exactly. I'm just making myself miserable and everybody else around me miserable. And when you play in flip flops, it's a little difficult to take yourself real seriously. So that was kind of my thing, where it, I guess, was a, a reminder to chill out a little bit. That's why I go I think, to church naked, just to remind think, myself no, I'm not going I think, anywhere. I think there's value in what you said, Jake. Yeah, so uh, that's why I did it for a long time. But now I'm kind of past that where I don't get so mad playing golf so I can go back to golf shoes. One thing I don't want to see is Austin going to church naked. Nobody right. wants to see that. Oh, fine, I won't go to church. Okay. Okay. The second thing is, did you see that Russell Westbrook uh, gave his uh, room attendant there at uh, at the Disney World uh, resort an eight thousand dollar tip? I did. I thought that was amazing. What's the biggest tip you've ever given? Um, God, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. Have you ever done? Have you ever gone overboard on a tip where you just said, you know, okay, it may might not be eight thousand dollars, but for you and for your means at the time, you uh, you left a a large, you know, sum for what your resources would allow. I, Absolutely, uh, I, you did. You have a story? Not not a particular story, but yeah, all all over tip from time to time when I get good service, one hundred percent. My, yeah, uh, I've, I've done it, but not in, in a huge amount. What do you get? Austin? My roommate in college uh, tipped a waitress a lot of money once. Like, I mean, I mean, a lot to him at the time, right? Because he thought that that would help him get her number <laughs> at the end, uh, uh, and, and so, that yeah, was not one of those. Motive. Yeah, it was not a wise thing. Uh, during this uh, pandemic, Gordon, I haven't eaten at uh, any. Well, I was a whole lot of restaurants. I don't think I've eaten at any restaurants actually. But we we've done takeout. 
And so I've tried my best to really tip heavily whenever we get takeout just to, I don't know, keep that particular industry has struggled, right? Have either of you ever worked in the service industry where you rely on tips uh, to supplement your wage? Yes, driving the old airport shuttle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh-huh. that's not quite $2 an hour. No, no. Like no, a waiter and waitress no, make. Because yeah. uh-uh. uh, that'll change your, even if you are a good tipper, go work one of those jobs for a week and then you'll be even a better tipper. If if you are a bar frequenter, like uh, I know you are, Gordon, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll always tip at least a dollar a drink. And that's way more than 20% usually. I've given, uh, I've, yeah. I mean, I think that's generous. I think that that speaks highly of you that you're that you do that. Uh, I've had a few things done, you know, whether it was a car wash or whether it was uh, uh, something where I saw someone uh, doing an excellent job where I I uh, dropped uh, you know a couple twenties on somebody. But I've never done the hundred dollar or or you know I've never gone crazy with it. Other than a cruise I took where you had to pay, you had to give these huge tips, which was kind of ridiculous. But all right. And then the last story I have here, there's what's what's the uh, the biggest the biggest thing you've ever given your child that would amuse her? Like size wise? Yeah, just effort. Or are you talking price effort? Uh... Effort. Besides the gift of life? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, we, we gave Which her took so much effort on your part, right? We gave her a toy kitchen, not this past Christmas, but the the Christmas before that took quite a bit of a assembly you had to put it together. Yeah, it was. <laughs> was it an IKEA? No, it was not an IKEA. Ah. But uh, it, I don't know. Yeah, that that's probably a good one. This man in Anaheim, his name is Steve Dobbs. He constructed in his backyard a mini Disneyland. Wow. He's an engineer, so he had some training as far as how, how you know, he had a background which would enable him to build a mini roller coaster back there. But it looks like he's got he's got some of the Disney-type uh, rides in his backyard for his kids. But there's also a picture of him riding the roller coaster, too, so maybe he did it for himself. But when I look at this, I think, holy cow, how did someone – come up with that i mean he's got castles back there and he's got uh, like i said a little roller coaster does he have 12 dollar churros <laughs> he's gonna get his money 45 dollar parking <laughs> there was there was no mention of that ah. uh but but i think he has i i know i have a friend who who has some stuff like that uh even the automaton stuff where you know like the at the uh, you know the Hall of Presidents or something at Disneyland where uh, Abe Lincoln is giving a speech, I know somebody who has a few of those things that actually, you know, move as they talk. Oh, that's yeah. the weirdest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. Are they arrested or? <laughs> no. Yeah, is this person in jail? No, not at all. Oh. I wonder, looking forward, since both of you have young children, how. Uh, you know how that's going to go. What kind of effort level you're going to find within yourselves to to give to the ones you love? Spoiler: It's going to be low. <laughs> it's going to just be cash, right? <laughs> Disneyland is no, it's a not going to be cash. No, it's not going to be cash. It's not a real place. 
Yeah. It's going to be, uh, yeah, entertain yourself. I'm busy. That's what it's going to wow, be. Dad, oh, Dad, I got three meals today. Not. It is not. Oh, it is You've your birthday. Already, I know you go out and you take your your daughter to go fly a kite on a day when the wind's not blowing. You, you make sacrifices, Jake. Well, she's, <laughs> no. I, I mean, until she learns to mow the lawn, she's getting nothing. <laughs> Uh, until she learns how to day trade, she's uh, she's getting very little from me. Tyler joins us now uh, Tyler, from trydaytrading.com. Hey, hey guys, Tyler, how you doing? Tyler, what kind of dad do you think Jake is? Is is? I mean, do you, does it sound like he's off to a rough start? Well, hey, I'm a huge Disneyland fan, so I fully support building Disneyland in the backyard. You know, I, I think <laughs> okay. that's a great idea. There you go. All right, it's your challenge. Well, if uh, let's say you're saving up to uh, build your own Disneyland, uh, day trading might be a good uh, good way to go. Well, day trading and charging forty five dollars for churros, yeah, there you go. <laughs> for some of our listeners who might want to either replace income, supplement, uh, how do they get started? Just log on trydaytrading.com. Um, yeah, so we run webinars every day. So what I usually do for students that are looking into it is I get in the path that I was on. So we have a webinar that kind of gives. Um, a detailed uh, description about what our program is and how our indicators work. And then we do a 30-day trial, which is awesome. So the 30-day trial really allows you to get in, um, test out the system, and honestly, just see if trading is going to be a solution or an answer to what you're looking for. So that's where I always tell people to go to is the webinars. And then if the trial is something that's going to fit for you, let's get you in there and just see if it's something that can work. Trydaytrading.com is a place to start. Jump on one of those webinars, trydaytrading.com. And, hey, if you uh, you know do your training and coaching and get experience, you can actually trade trydaytrading.com's money, right? Yes, sir, 100%. All right. Well, hey, Tyler, we appreciate you jumping on with us. Thanks, man. Thanks, Dad. Good talking to you. Have a good one. Back at you. That's a friend, Tyler, from trydaytrading.com. Log on, trydaytrading.com. More next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.